Welcome to Time After Time, a non-sponsored, highly judgmental podcast about time travel, and love, and friendship, and the movies that bring them together into our living room. I'm Helena. And I'm Paige. And maybe in an alternate timeline, you've already listened to this podcast. And you loved it. Let's go. All right. We're, we're going. We're rolling. They see me rolling. Back, Back to, to the, the future. <laughs> In the DeLorean with Doc and Marty. Trying to catch Doc me with and Doc and Marty. Did with Doc and Marty. Uh, we've done better, but that wasn't terrible. No, and it was nice that we were very quickly on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we did a mind meld. It was great. Um, so if you haven't guessed it already, we're doing... Back, Back to, to the, the future, future, part three. Yeah, it's time. Yeah, we're finally doing it. You're welcome. Yeah, I finally talked Helena into it. Because <laughs> we had always said Back to the Future was not, it's not a romance. There is, I mean, there is a romance in it, I guess. I, even, you know, let's not count the, like, edible of it. Edible, not edible. I said edible. I know, I was just clarifying okay. for the listeners. Right. Even without the Marty and his mom of it all. Like, Marty, I guess his parents have to fall in love. He also has a girlfriend, a consistent girlfriend through all of this. But the girlfriend's, like, already established. So I think that's why we were like, eh. Yeah. Doesn't really count. Right. It's not about the romance. It's not a central central theme or a central plot point. Right. Until part three, when we have a Doc and a Clara. Yeah. And Which, it's all about the romance. It, you know, it, I, I will talk more about it, but it was more romantic than I was even expecting it. Mm-hmm. So, we did it. We did it. We watched the movie. You're welcome. Do you want to hear about it? <laughs> well, keep listening if so. Here we go. Um, we were doing it similar to our Shrek episode, which if you haven't listened to our Shrek episode, honestly, one of our favorites. What are you doing if you haven't listened to that one? Go back, listen to the Shrek episode, watch all four Shreks. It's a good night. (laughs) I'm sitting here with my commemorative Shrek cup that Paige Mm -hmm. bought me after we did that episode. I'm not wearing my Shrek ears, but I do own them. Mm -hmm. So, and a mug from Helena that says, this is my swamp, I believe. I think so, yeah. Something along those Mm -hmm. lines. Um, so we're all in on track, uh, but that's not what we're talking about right now. <laughs> Except it is, but I mean, we shouldn't be. No, no. This is a diversion, a digression. Yes. Let's talk about Back to the Future. Right. So I'm just saying we're doing a similar thing where when we did Shrek 4, we very quickly recapped 1 through 3. So what, because we're doing part 3 of Back to the Future, we will very quickly recap parts 1 and 2. We tried to make these as brief as possible. They're plot-heavy movies. They just are. They just are. But we think we just got the salient points that you need to know to follow along. And that we need to know to follow along. Because mm-hmm. I personally did not uh, really remember all the plot points. Yeah. Especially from number two. I've, ne- I've definitely never seen three. This was my mm-hmm. first time watching mm-hmm. three. And I was, like, very fuzzy on two. One, I probably could have told you what happens. Yes. Yeah, I, I I watched both one and two as a child. I'd also never seen three. Strange that we both yeah I don't know watch the happened. first two and then stop fell off the wagon. Um, but yeah, I had like flashes 
Like, there was nothing that I read that surprised me. Right. But I I don't think I could have written this summary from memory. Yeah, I just, I feel like it was one of those ones that was, like, the whole series was, like, constantly on ABC Family, so it all sort of runs together. Mm. I don't think the whole, I think maybe just one and two. Maybe, maybe that's, that's why we've never seen three. That's You know what? That's actually pretty likely. All right, we'll go with that. Yeah, which I don't know why. It's very clearly a trilogy, but. Yeah. No, it, yeah. it set itself up that way. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's do it. Let's. Let's go. All right. So starting with part one, which isn't called part one. It's just called Back to the Future. Marty McFly, played by Michael J. Fox, is a normal teenage boy in 1985, except for that he's BFFs with the town weirdo Dr. Emmett Brown, played by Christopher Lloyd, otherwise known as Doc. Doc has created a time machine that runs on plutonium that he's stolen from Libyan nationalists. The Libyans show up and shoot Doc, so Doc and Marty use the time machine in the shape of a DeLorean to escape and end up getting stuck in 1955. While Doc tries to figure out how to get them back to the future, Marty manages to mess up some things in the past, like accidentally disrupting his parents' meet cute, which he then solves by making his dad fight his high school bully and future boss, Biff Tannen. Healthy. Doc figures out that they can use a big lightning strike at the town clock tower in order to power the DeLorean and get Marty home. They do that, and Marty returns to the future. Now his parents are happy, and Biff works for his dad instead of the other way around. Also, Doc is fine because Marty warned him about the Libyan shooters, so he wore a bulletproof vest. Marty reunites with his girlfriend Jennifer just in time for Doc to show up and tell them that their future children are in trouble. Part 2 Jenny and Marty take off with Doc to go save their future kids in 2015, a year we know well, (laughs) with Biff secretly witnessing their departure. Marty switches places with his son, Marty Jr., who conveniently looks just like him, in order to stop his son from participating in a robbery with Biff's grandson, Griff, which would land Marty Jr. in jail. He sort of succeeds, there's a hoverboard chase, Griff gets arrested, and all seems well. Before they head back, Marty buys a future almanac to make some money by betting on things back in 1985. Doc disapproves, so they leave it behind, but an elderly Biff secretly grabs it and borrows the time machine to give to his past self in 1955 and becomes super rich. Oh, also, Jenny hears some stuff about Marty getting fired and getting in a car crash. This will not be important until movie number three. When they all return to 1985, it's super messed up and dystopian because of Biff. Marty goes back to 1955 again to stop Biff from getting the almanac, but he has to be super careful to not disturb all the stuff he did the first time he was in 1955. He manages to do it and burn the almanac, but unfortunately, while Doc was waiting for him in the DeLorean, the DeLorean was struck by that same lightning bolt from the end of the first movie, and it vanishes with Doc inside. Immediately, a mail courier hands Marty a letter from Doc, which says he ended up being transported to 1885. We're now in part three. Part three. So here's where our summary is going to get a little more detailed. All right. Marty finds Doc in 1955 who has just sent first movie Marty back to 1985. Upon seeing another Marty, Doc faints. Marty takes Doc home, and when he wakes up, Marty explains everything, including that 1985 Doc is now back in 1885. They read 1885 Doc's letter, which explains that he's happy as a blacksmith in the Old West, and they should just leave him be so as not to disturb any more space-time continuum stuff. However, he knows that Marty still needs to get back to 1985, so he gives them a map to where the DeLorean he took to 1885 is buried, and instructions on how to fix it to send Marty home. So there's, maybe we should clarify, there, there's multiple Docs, multiple DeLoreans. Are there multiple DeLoreans? Yes. Okay. It has been it has been discussed on the internet. Okay, because that was a question I had. No, there's multiple Lorians. There's actually when they go back to 1885, there's then multiple 
DeLoreans in 1885 because there's the DeLorean that Doc already hid in the cave for Marty and the DeLorean that Marty took back and then hides in the cave with the bear. But that's so it's a different cave and a different bear? Well, there's only one bear. Oh, sorry. It's a different cave. Yes. It's a a different, Del- if it's a different cave, but okay, both see, DeLoreans are what broken. I didn't understand. Okay. Got it. Okay, we'll get into this, but yes. yes, the important thing to know as part of the summary is that there are multiple Docs and multiple DeLoreans, but there's only one Marty. Well, in this movie, but when, like, in the second movie, when he goes back to 1955, sure. there is the first movie Marty, and he is also there. That's true. Okay, okay, fine. This mm-hmm. movie only has one Marty, though. I believe so. Yes. It seems to be. It seems to be that this movie has one Marty. Okay, all right. Although there is multiple Michael J. Foxes. That is true. Yes. Which we love. (laughs) That's the kind of shit we like to see. Yes. Marty in 1955, Doc, go find the DeLorean. It's right next to a graveyard. And while there, Doc's dog leads them to a gravestone that tells them that Emmett Brown, Doc, was killed in 1885, one week after he sent Marty that letter. It also says that he was killed by Mad Dog Tannen over a matter of $80 and that the gravestone was put there by his beloved Clara. Very informative gravestone. (laughs) Truly the most informative. (laughs) Marty decides he has to go back and save Doc's life. 1955 Doc and Marty do some research and fix up the machine, and away Marty goes. When he lands in 1885, Marty realizes that the fuel line of the DeLorean got blown out, so the car will once again need to be fixed before it can return to 1985. He hits his head and passes out and wakes up in the house of his great-great-grandparents. They give him some food and shelter and a very lame hat, and they tell him how to get into town. Once in town, Marty almost immediately has a run-in at the saloon with Mad Dog Tannen and pisses him off. Mad Dog is trying to hang him when Doc intervenes. Mad Dog tells Doc that he owes him 80 bucks because the horseshoe that he made for his horse fell off and he should watch his back before uh, Mad Dog rides away. That's a very confusing that's a whole, That's a whole thing that happened. I'm gonna... Yeah, Mad Dog tells Doc that Doc owes Mad Dog $80 because Doc made a horseshoe because Do he's the town that blacksmith. <laughs> yes, that explains why Mad Dog's gonna kill him. <laughs> I don't know. All right. That's getting confusing. Doc is a blacksmith. He made a horseshoe. It fell off Mad Dog's horse. And instead of just like bringing the horse back for a new shoe, Mad Dog shot the horse and now he wants money. Why did he shoot the... Okay, we'll get into it. Because <laughs> he's a maybe, bad guy. This is maybe the most complicated, most plot-heavy movie we've had. Yeah. Would you say so? Except for yeah, maybe that one that... There's just a lot of people. Yeah. Except for that one, the the one where they were at the motel, that one was very confusing. Yes. The Infinite Man. The Infinite Man. But other than that, I think this may be our most plot-heavy movie. Yeah, especially because there's a lot of threads from previous movies that are all, like, coming together. Also, I should mention, because it's not clear from his name, because it's not, it doesn't rhyme with if. (laughs) (laughs) Mad Dog Tannen, the last name, Biff Tannen, it's the same last name. So it's played by the same guy. It's played by the same guy. This is, like, the great-great-grandfather of Biff Tannen. Yeah, we also, when we meet Marty's great-great-grandparents, they are played by Michael J. Fox doing a bad Irish accent, and um, the woman who played Marty's mom, who was also recently in a Hallmark movie we watched. Um, Which feels weird, but we'll allow it. (laughs) Yeah, so she's doing a slightly better Irish accent. Yes. Anyway, so everyone's the same. There there only have ever been two families in this town. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You'd think someone would have married someone else, and then they would 
end up being combined at some point. Or someone would have been in the town for that long. Like, someone would have had to, right? I mean, they did marry other people to have children, but just, it was like there was a line of, of no, men, but, so everyone but has the same what I'm saying name. is, like, tannins, and at some point, if these two families are in the same town for this long, this many generations, like, someone's going to be like, oh, I'm going to marry one of the, the tannins, or I'm going to marry a McFly. You're I'm saying a saying, tannin would have married a McFly? Yeah. Oh. Like, it probably would have happened, because they're, you know, it's not a very it's, big town. But it seems like all the tannins and all the McFlies are all men. That's true. And they all hate each other for the... For no... For all Specified all reason. Yeah. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. Anyway, uh, shall we continue with the summary? Yeah. It's not over yet, folks. <laughs> so, yeah. So Marty's just gotten there. Doc saved him. In fact, we're kind of at the beginning of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Marty and Doc then go catch up, and Marty explains why he's there, because Doc told him not to come. So he explains why he's there. After learning of his fate, Doc agrees to go back to 1985 with Marty, but without gas, because remember, they, they broke the fuel line thing they won't be able to get the car up to 88 miles an hour which is the speed it needs to be at to shoot them into the future and there's obviously there's no gas yet it's, it's 1885 after a lot of brainstorming they realize they can get a steam locomotive to push the car to that speed the next train is at 8 a.m on monday the day doc was set to die so that works out also at some point during this conversation marty mentions clara from the tombstone and doc is like i don't know anyone named clara and i would never be foolish enough to start a relationship with someone from a different time period because of the space-time continuum while inspecting the railroad tracks to work out their plan they spot a woman whose horse has been spooked by a snake she almost falls into the ravine before doc saves her turns out her name is clara it is love at first sight she comes to his blacksmith shop later to have him fix her telescope and invites him and marty to the town festival that night while at the town festival mad dog tries to shoot doc but marty stops him mad dog and marty have words and when mad dog calls marty yellow marty is goaded into a shootout with him because no one calls marty mcfly a coward Luckily, the shootout is scheduled for Monday at 8 a.m. when Marty plans to be in the future. So I guess he is kind of a coward. Doc is mad at Marty for, once again, being goaded into a dangerous pissing contest and lets it slip that this sort of thing gets Marty into a car accident in the future. He also seems hesitant to return to 1985 due to the nice kissing he and Clara have done. Marty convinces him that he's a scientist and he has to think with his head because he does not belong in this time period. Doc agrees and goes to bid Clara adieu the night before they are set to leave. She obviously does not believe him when he says he has to go back to the future. She slaps him, slams the door, and cries. Doc is despondent and goes to the saloon to have a drink, but ends up holding the shot glass and talking to the saloon guests all night about Clara and the future. Marty wakes up Monday morning and realizes that Doc hasn't come home, so he runs to town to find him. He finds him right as Doc finally takes the shot of whiskey, which causes him to instantly pass out. The barkeep makes a wake-up cocktail to revive him, but not before Mad Dog and his gang come into town and find Marty. They make Marty come out and do the shootout by threatening Doc's life if he doesn't. Marty comes out and is shot by Mad Dog. However, he has secretly made himself a bulletproof vest. So when Mad Dog comes over to look at his dead body, Marty kicks the gun out of his hands and beats him up. The marshal shows up and Mad Dog gets arrested. Doc is awake now and he and Marty run to catch the train that's just left the station. In the meantime, Clara has decided this town is too full of Doc for her, so she is on the train heading to San Francisco. She overhears two men behind her talking about how Doc spent all night in the saloon talking about how much he loved her and realizes she was wrong about him. She gets off the train and rides a horse back into town. She does not find Doc, but she sees the plans for how they're going to get back to the future, so she gallops back to the train to catch them. 
Doc and Marty hijack the train, disconnect the steam engine from the passenger cars, and stick some special wood that Doc made into the fire to make the train go super fast, pushing the DeLorean ahead of it. All is going according to plan until Clara shows up on her horse and climbs aboard the speeding train. She almost falls off, and Marty sends Doc his 2015 hoverboard, which was inside the DeLorean, to save her. Doc saves her, and they are safe together on the hoverboard just as Marty and the DeLorean disappear into the future. Back in 1985, the DeLorean is destroyed by an oncoming train, but Marty makes it out in time and is fine. Marty sees everything is the way it was before the events of the second movie, so burning the almanac worked. If you remember that that whole thing happened. That's where he left 1985, I guess. Yes. He wakes Jenny on her porch, and they embrace. As they're driving around, some guys try to goad Marty into a street race by calling him Chicken. For the first time, he doesn't let it get to him. As they drive away, they almost get into a car accident, and he realizes that he definitely would have gotten into a car accident. Thank goodness he grew through all that time travel. Wow. After this, Jenny realizes that that fax from 2015 that said Marty got fired on it has been erased. She's just been carrying around this fax from 2015. Um, As one does. As one, yeah. Meaning that Marty not getting into the car accident has changed their future for the better. Marty takes Jenny to the railroad tracks to show her the destroyed DeLorean. While there, he laments about how much he'll miss Doc. On cue, Doc shows up in a steam-powered train time machine. He has Clara with him, as well as their two kids and his dog, who he came back for. They have a nice goodbye, and Doc tells them their future has not been written yet. Marty asks Doc if he's going to the future now, and Doc cryptically says, nope, already been there, before blasting off in his flying train time machine with his family. The end. Whew. The end. That's it. All right. This brings us to Blast from the Past. I'm guessing you'll have a lot to go on here. I have so much. This is going to be fun. I have so much. Um, and I only looked at the third one. I didn't even like look at the first or like the trilogy as a whole because there was just too much. I mean, it's such a beloved and, you know, legendary movie mm-hmm. series. So I tried to only pick things that, of course, I find interesting. So hopefully you also find them interesting. And by you, I mean Helena, because I don't care beyond that. (laughs) That's who this podcast is for. It's for me. Yeah. And me. (laughs) So apparently during filming for the first Back to the Future, the director asked Michael J. Fox what time period he would like to see. And Michael J. Fox replied that he wanted to visit the Old West and meet cowboys. Oh, that's fun. And that is sort of what inspired this. That's cute. Um, so apparently the, so the, the original Back to the Future was shot in 1985, but the Back to the Future sequels were shot back to back throughout 1989, within the same 11 months, um, which reunited the cast and crew from four years before, which is also really funny because this is all supposed to be happening sort of simultaneously, right? Like the end of the first movie bleeds into the beginning of the second movie Mm -hmm. and the end of the second movie bleeds into the beginning of the third movie. Right. But like... Michael J. Fox has aged four or five years. Yeah, and it's pretty clear, too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so the films, were, like I said, were shot over the course of 11 months, save for a three-week hiatus between parts two and three. Wow. That's yeah. a, such a, like, marathon for them. Yeah. I feel like movie actors are not used to doing stuff like that. So not only the actors, but for approximately three weeks, Robert Zemeckis, I don't know if I'm saying that right, Robert Zemeckis? Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah, Okay. The director. He directed all three. Mm-hmm. He would fly, and he also wrote, he and uh, Bob Gale co-wrote all three of them. Okay. So for three weeks, 
the director would fly to Los Angeles after the day's filming of the, the train climax of the movie to approve the sound dub that Bob Gale was supervising for part two. Oh my god. So he, would, he was directing during the day and then he would fly back at night to yeah. approve the edit? Oh my god. He would then get up at 4.30am the next day to fly back to Northern California, which is where the set was, to continue with filming for that day. Woo! Three weeks. He took two flights a day for three weeks. Wow. The carbon footprint alone. True. <laughs> um, the only time that they halted filming was they halted it when Michael J. Fox's father died and when his son was born. Oh. Wow. So, big year for Michael J. Fox. Yeah, I was going to say, Christ. course of this <laughs> one year, he lost a father and gained a son. And filmed two Back to the Future movies. Yes. Yeah. Jesus. So the role of Claire Clayton was uh, actually written with Mary Steenburgen in mind, which I don't think we said Claire Clayton, played by Mary Steenburgen. Love. Always, One of our faves. Always a thrill. Um, and she was reluctant to commit to the film until her kids, who loved Back to the Future Part 1, like made her do it. I love when that happens. Yeah. I love it when, people, when celebrities do stuff just because their kids are like, I like this, though. Yeah. <laughs> she played Claire Clayton, um, who was a reference to Claire Clemens, who was uh, Mark Twain's daughter, Samuel, oh. Mark Twain, a.k.a. Samuel Clemens. Okay, I did not know that. Apparently Claire Clemens went on a sleigh ride with her future husband, and on this sleigh ride, they were it was a horse-drawn sleigh, I guess, the horse took fright from a windswept newspaper and bolted uh, while her hus- future husband lost control. Uh, at the top of the hill, next to a 50-foot drop, the sleigh overturned, throwing Clemens out, her future husband leaped to the ground, caught the horse by the head, stopping it as it was about to plunge over the bank, which would have dragged Clemens, who was caught by her dress. Oh my god, that's very yeah. dramatic. Yeah. So I guess so a that real whole life story was throwback. Yeah. All right, fair enough. So more about Mary Steenburgen, who we love, um, and who has also previously been in a, a time travel movie, if mm-hmm, you remember, mm-hmm. eleven years previous, time after time. Um she and Jules Verne, who they talk about a lot in this movie and who Doc and Clara end up naming their kids after, uh, share a birthday. Oh, that's fun. And this is the second comedic Western to feature a character played by Christopher Lloyd in love with a character played by Mary Steenburgen. <laughs> Amazing fact. <laughs> Mary Steenburgen's film debut was a movie called Going South in 1978, so a year before Time After Time. And Christopher Lloyd played a supporting character whose unrequited love for her fuels his adversarial relationship with her husband, played by Jack Nicholson. Wow. I mean, they did have great chemistry. Yeah. Very fun. And also, all the stunts that happened and the scene that proved the most dangerous for Mary Steenburgen was the uh, the festival dance scene and all the dancing tore a ligament in her foot. Oh. Well, yeah. There was some vigorous dancing happening. Some more fun casting stuff. Uh, there was three veteran Western film actors who were in the saloon as like saloon old timers: Pat Butran, Harry Carey Jr., and Dub Taylor. Oh, cool! So they were like giving us a little bit of like a film. Yeah. Like... Apparently, they played like hundreds. They've been in, like hundreds of westerns. Um, also, the inclusion of these notable Western actors was promoted in several documentaries about the film and like behind the scenes documentary and in the obituary of one of the actors. So like they knew what they were doing. That's fun. I like that. Mm-hmm. And the musicians of the Old West style band in the film in the fest- at the festival were played by ZZ Top. Oh. I yeah. did not recognize that, but I suppose... I mean, me neither. I don't know I was what ZZ, ZZ Top looks like. If I was a ZZ Top fan, I would have been very excited. That's a fun cameo. Um, and apparently, according to the book, Billy Gibbons, rock and roll gearhead, ZZ Top was hanging around the set, like, you know, when they were filming this, or ZZ Top was hanging around the set 
and was asked to be the town band, which is confusing to me. So wait, what? He they was were just, just like, like friends with someone. I'm I don't know. Hang out here. I, I don't know. That's whatever. Regardless, then they were playing the town band. I bet that's apocryphal. I bet they were already yeah. like gonna do it. So the more fun part of the story to me is. They were playing the town band. During one take, the camera broke, and while waiting for the camera to be repaired, Michael J. Fox asked if they would play Hey Good Lookin', which they did. Afterwards, more requests were played. Two hours later, um, they had just been playing continuously. Two hours later, someone inquired if the camera had been repaired. The director replied that it had been fixed for quite a while, but he didn't want to stop the party. Oh, that's cute. (laughs) Wow, seems like a really fun time on that set. Yeah, and apparently shooting a film set in the Old West was appealing to all the stuntmen. Um, who were all experienced horse riders, and apparently, according to Bob Gale, they had every great stuntman in Hollywood wanting to work on part three. Well, there were a lot of great stunts. Yeah. I was also wondering if Michael J. Fox knew how to ride a horse, or if Marty McFly had ever ridden a horse, because Marty McFly seemed very comfortable Um, immediately on that horse. Michael J. Fox had to be taught how to ride a horse. I have in my consistency notes. Does Marty McFly just know how to ride that, a horse? I, that I wrote that down too. Yeah, yeah. Like, it seemed yeah. Uh, implausible to me. No, Michael J. Fox talks about how he like needed to learn something for every movie. He needed to learn how to ride a horse. He needed to learn how to shoot a gun in an earlier movie. I think he needed to learn how to ride a skateboard. Like right. he was like skateboard someone was always teaching me something. Oh, that's so fun. <laughs> yeah, um, but also. The Thomas F. Wilson, who played Mad Dog Tannen, chose to perform his own stunts and spent a great deal of time learning to ride a horse and throw his lariat. Is that like the lasso? I assume that is a lasso, yes. Cool. And this is not fun. While filming the scene where Mad Dog tries to hang Marty, uh, Michael J. Fox was accidentally hanged. Oh my god! Rendering him unconscious for a short time. What the hell? He talks about it in his autobiography, if you want to read that. It's called Lucky Man. Jesus. Yeah. When Marty McFly goes back in time, he doesn't want to give his real name because the McFly family is, like, right there being, like... Already in town. Yeah. Um, so he says he's his name is Clint Eastwood, who he has talked about earlier in the movie, being in all these old westerns. Uh, Clint Eastwood was asked for permission about his name being used in the film. He consented and was said to be tickled by the homage. Yeah, sure. Uh, wouldn't you? <laughs> Um, and then when Doc and Marty are at the drive-in in 1955, preparing the DeLorean for the trip to 1885, Marty mentions Clint Eastwood because they're going to the Old West, and Doc replies, Clint who? In this shot, there is a movie poster at the drive-in's wall showcasing Revenge of the Creature and Tarantula, which are both movies that came out in 1955, which contained the first film appearances of a young, then known Eastwood. Oh. Yeah. So Marty looks to one of the posters and he says to Doc, that's right, you haven't heard of him yet. Cool, 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 cool. Um, Just a fun, fun, from Frisbee history. We're really having a wide range here, folks. Let's let's hear it from Frisbee history. Because in the movie, the way Marty stops, the way Marty stops Mad Dog from killing Doc at this town festival is he throws a Frisbee pie plate. Because that's how Frisbees started. They started as pie plates? Yes. Oh, I thought that that was just like a, like a little joke. But no, they actually no. were pie plates. The Frisbee Pie Company started in Connecticut in 1871, and they made pie tins. Um, and then their pie pans were thrown on the campus of Yale, which eventually led to the invention of Frisbees. Um, actually, no. Uh, Marty McFly invented the Frisbee. <laughs> I don't know if you know that. You're correct. Also, actor and former president Ronald Reagan. Ever heard of him? Who? So at this point, he was the former president. I mean, he's still the former president, but he had already been president at this point. Right. Mm -hmm. 
he was he was approached to play the part of Mayor Hubert because of his fondness for the first film in the trilogy. He reluctantly turned down the role, and the part went to Hugh Gillen instead. But had oh. Rob, yeah, had Reagan appeared, it would have been his first film appearance in thirty years. Did he ever do any films after he was president? I don't know. Do you want me to that, look that up? No, it's okay. But I feel like that would have been. Um, I mean, I don't know. Obama has a Netflix deal. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but if he appeared, like, as an actor, Obama doesn't have a Netflix deal where he's, like, pretending to be in the Old West. I guess. Michelle Obama has been on a lot of TV shows. As Michelle Obama. That's true. Yeah. Oh, so not only were these movies filmed back-to-back, they were released within six months of each other. Whoa. Yeah, part Why? two was released in... Draw it out. Part two was released in November of 1989, and part three was released in May of 1990. And apparently from the outset, the screenwriters, Robert Zemeckis and Bob Gale, uh, were adamant that Back to the Future Part 2 and Back to the Future Part 3 be released within six months of each other. But why? He's, they said that was so the audiences wouldn't have to wait long between installments. Which, yeah. I, I don't know. People I'm will surprised. Wait. Yeah, I'm surprised that the... Um, I feel like you have way more opportunity for like merchandising if you Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. I'm surprised that the producers and like the, the, the studios, money people agreed yeah. to that. Hmm. Interesting. All right, so here's some things that happen in all three movies. Love that. In every film, Marty is knocked out. He always wakes up and says, Mom? Mm-hmm. Leah Thompson is always present. Uh-huh. Who plays his mom. But also other people. Right. He, well, she plays his young mom, I should say. Oh, okay. She's mm-hmm. never... She doesn't play his, his... When he says mom, she's not who he's thinking of. Right, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so Leah Thompson is always present. She always uh, tells him to be still now and tells him for exactly how long he's been out cold. Fun. Okay. Yeah. Love that. Um, in each film in the trilogy, Tom Wilson, who plays Biff, or in this case, Mad Dog, uh, ends up covered in manure. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> and in each film of the trilogy, Marty ends up in a chase throughout, through the town with a member of the Tannen family and three of his goons. So the infamous hoverboard chase in the second movie. Sure. Yeah. Okay. The twinkly piano cue used at the start of the main title theme of this film is an homage to Alan Silvestri in the George Powell movie, H.G. Wells' The Time Machine. Ever heard of it? Mm. The 1960 one, not the one we watched. Uh, I would imagine so, since that one was from 2002. Yeah. But we love love an homage to another time travel movie. Mad Dog Tannen is arrested, not by the marshal, who we meet earlier in the movie, but by the marshal's deputy... And during the arrest, um, when they say the line that he's arrested for robbing the Pine City stage, the camera cuts away from the marshal deputy to Marty and Emmett because there was a a cut scene where Buford murdered the marshal. Why? Uh, Mad Dog, I should say. Yeah. His real name is Buford. There's a scene where Marshall murders the marshal. Um, Marshall mur- Mad Dog. Where Mad yeah, there's a scene where Mad Dog murders the Marshall, and so originally that's what the Marshall's deputy was coming to arrest him for. That's a wild extra <laughs> plot point that they definitely should have cut. Good for them. Yeah. So they deleted the murder scene because it was deemed too dark for a family film, and so they had to dub over the line. Yeah. Well, they mentioned the robbing the Pine City stage thing earlier, so yeah, yeah, yeah it made sense. And why why would they make him murder someone? Biff is just supposed to be like a, you know. Well, someone, uh, the screener said that Mad Dog um, was supposed to be like Biff at his absolute like worst intention. The scariest Biff. Yeah. All right, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah. So. The roughest Biff of them all. 
the wild west you know mm-hmm. if not now when that's true is that it mm-hmm. is that all you got for me yeah there's plenty more on the internet if you want to look into it there's been documentaries there's books like people really love this movie or this this series yeah so, and i i get it i get it too it's great it's great um all right but let's move on magic science just a dream like we've sort of talked about there's they make a lot of decisions such as there are multiple people multiple yeah you can go back and see you don't replace yourself when you go back Mm -hmm. there are multiple physical realities of yourself um this movie takes the stance that the future is not written in stone it can be changed Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one thing that's consistent through the movies is you can watch the future change by um using like like objects that come from the future if the future changes will change mm-hmm. like uh photographs or the facts thing mm-hmm. which yeah i think is fun in the first movie marty has a a photograph of him and his siblings where he sees them all slowly being erased when he, his parents don't meet um and in this case he has a picture of the gravestone with doc's name on it that once he saves doc's life the that name erases and then when he gets into the thing where he's gonna have a shootout with mad dog his name appears briefly so yeah i think that's really cool i like that Mm -hmm. um and it's nice because they you can see in real time how your actions are affecting things Mm -hmm. and and respond rather than just like having to go back and forth to find out what has happened right yeah Uh, which is it's sort of they did a similar thing in Oh, wow. I have no idea what the name of this movie is. The one with Sophie Turner? Yes. 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 I was thinking that. Time Freak. Time Freak. Yes. 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 They did a similar thing in Time Freak where he had a text message that got erased once he had fixed the future that he Mm -hmm. wanted to Mm -hmm. fix. Obviously, that movie came much later than this. I'm sure it was sort of a reference. But they did, and they did make a point at the very end. They were very heavy handed with, it means your future hasn't been written yet. Like when the fax disappears. And all I kept thinking is... Feel the rain on your skin. <laughs> no one else can do it. Yeah, absolutely. The rest is still unwritten. Absolutely. One thing that's interesting, I th- and I think this is true, tell me if I'm wrong, but it seems like it sort of, the trilogy follows Marty's experience from the beginning to the end of his time travel time, essentially. Mm-hmm. Like, linearly. Yeah. And then Doc appears at different points. So, like... If we were to do a movie about Doc, it would be, like, in a much different order. I mean, I think if we were following the 1985 Doc, the movie would be in the same order. But we but do... he goes to different places at different times. Like, for example, he would go back to 1985 before he ends up... No, wait. He ends up in 1885. Mm-hmm. Anyway, I just... It would be the events would appear to happen in a different order if we followed a different person who was time traveling. Yeah. Which I think is fun. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we don't ever interact with any other Martys, right? Like, we, in the second one, they see, they see the first movie Marty, I think, you know, like, doing his thing. But whereas he interacts with 1955 Doc a lot, I don't think we ever interact with a different Marty. Yes, we're with the same guy mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. he ages four years overnight. <laughs> Incredible. Time travel yeah. will do that to you, you yeah. know? Yeah. 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 Um, it also helps that we have, like, an actual 
genius scientist at the helm. They have very good, elaborate plans. Doc is very smart. I love, I love all of the science stuff. This is yeah. to me the best version of the sciencing of all of this that we've yeah. seen. Like it's so much fun. They're having the best time with it. Yeah, and he like thinks through things. Like he thinks through the fact that you don't want to land. Where they go very far out of town, where they know that there wasn't anything in 1885 because mm-hmm, he's like you don't mm-hmm. want to land which apparently he has a line about not wanting to land uh you know and crash into a tree a- apparently that was a reference to in the first movie because marty sort of flying by the seat of his pants trying to escape the libyans <laughs> yeah so in the first movie marty's sort of flying by the seat of his pants trying to escape the libyans he's not a scientist and he does actually end up crashing into a tree when he goes back mm-hmm. um because he has not thought it through yeah so, uh, I like that Doc is thinking it through. He talks a lot about thinking fourth dimensionally. Yeah, that's, like. that's fun. And it's also sort of an homage to the time machine. That's something that they talk mm-hmm. a lot about in both the, the, the book and the movie of the time machine, where um, if we think of time as a fourth dimension, of course, we could go back and forth in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, although, they don't think out the part that, like, there's a train coming on the railroad tracks. Back in, eight, in 1985. Yeah, I don't know how they could have accounted for that, but... Yeah, I guess unless they had the train schedule memorized. Which, why would they? Yeah. And also, Doc wanted him to destroy the machine when he got back to 1985. So it all, so it all worked out. Yeah, for sure. I also like that um, the DeLorean does get destroyed at the end, because it's like, you know, mm-hmm. we're not gonna like... Yeah, I hate it when they make a beautiful trilogy, and then they're like, we'll do one more. They do. There was... I didn't get into this. There was a cartoon... Uh, after that followed Doc, Clara, and their family. Oh, okay. That's fun. Which I liked. Because um, yeah, I didn't I, have another, like, movie movie. Right. There was, um, I think there was talk every so often of doing mm. a fourth one. And it never came to fruition. And it also would have followed probably more Doc, especially because, as I'm sure most of you know, Michael J. Fox uh, developed Parkinson's. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. Pretty early. Yeah. So he had talked about how... If they had done a movie, he would love to have, like, a small part, but he couldn't do mm-hmm. the whole thing. So it probably, we probably would have followed Doc. In which case, I don't think they should have called it, like, Back to the Future 4. I think they should have been, like, Doc and Clara's Excellent Adventure. I would love that. That sounds yeah. great. Because <laughs> um, that seemed fun. Like, where are they going in their steam engine? Yeah, also the steam engine at the end. Very cool. Loved their, that. Their kids were kind of creepy. Yeah, also the fact that they were named Jules and Vern, very uh, upsetting for them. Right. I was like, who is, who is, who on this writing staff is obsessed with Jules Vern? We <laughs> got a lot about Jules Vern in this movie. Um, yeah. Do you have anything else? Um, I don't think so. I mean, we pretty much know how it works. Yeah, they do a very good job. They do a good job. So I think we can move I, on. I will, I will say here, because why not? It was very fun. I forgot how much fun good movies could be. <laughs> we watched a lot of like very mediocre movies I recently. I had the exact same feeling. I was like, is this movie like genuinely very good or have we just watched the worst movies possible? I mean, lately? I think it's a, it's a it's a good movie and it's just like it was very fun to watch a movie that was good because I was like the pace was good. Like everything yeah, was and working. It was, it was they all knew high budget too. It was high budget and I felt like taken care of. I was like I did too. I had the same feeling pain. I wasn't like on <laughs> I wasn't like, oh my god, these poor people. I wasn't on edge the whole time yeah, waiting like, for it to get bad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was very relaxing. I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> so this brings us to What, what have, have you done? done? 
So there's a bunch of interesting, um, before we get into consistency stuff, there's a bunch of interesting ethical time travel stuff going on here. Doc is very adamant that people should not know too much about their own destiny. Um, that's something Marty says to 1955 Doc that, you know, 1985 Doc was always telling him you shouldn't know too much about your own destiny. It's why they knock Jenny out in the, the second movie mm-hmm. because they're like, I don't know why they bring her at why, all. That's what I was going to say. Like, why did they bring her if they were just going to immediately knock her out? I, I guess Doc just needed Marty in that moment, and she was like, I'm coming. I don't know. I, we haven't watched the second movie recently, so, like, there might have been a justification. Know. But, yeah, they basically just knock her out because they don't think she should know about their future. Doc doesn't want to tell Marty that he gets into a car accident. Uh, Doc seems to think that, like, the easiest way to not disrupt the space-time continuum is to not know too much about your own destiny. Even I mean, though... that makes sense to me, because, like, you're just going to be changing things. But again, yeah. then we go back to the needle-in-a-time-stack issue, where right. it's like, aren't we all just stealing each other's wives? <laughs> like, every decision you make, like, changes the space-time yeah. continuum in some way. Right. Like, Doc going back in time, even with Marty didn't come get him, like, Doc going back in time means that Clara Clayton doesn't die. Right. Which we yeah. know based on the fact that she, before Marty even goes back, she, they had met and she had dedicated the gravestone to him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, you, I, a rule we keep coming back to is, like, there's no way to go back in time and not change stuff. Change stuff. Unless it's a universe where the future is written. Right. Unless it's a universe where no matter what you do, something else will... Make that thing happen. Right. Yeah. Which, where, where's the fun in that? Right. The rest is still unwritten. Exactly. Also, Doc very explicitly says in the letter, do not, I repeat, do not attempt to come back and get me. And Marty's going to listen to him until he sees the gravestone and is like, well, I can't just let Doc die a week after he wrote this letter. And it's sort of like, but he asked you to. (laughs) So we're, and, and Doc seems grateful when he goes back. He initially is like, I told you not to come. And then when Marty explains why he's there, Doc seems grateful that, Even though he's, like, breaking his own rule. Right. Yeah. So, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think Marty was ethical to go back? I'm... No. I mean, no. He wasn't. He shouldn't have done it because Doc said don't do it. And also, like, the thing is, Doc was, like, bound to die in the past regardless, right? Yeah. Also, he's he's a man in his 50s in the Old West. Yeah, he's not long for this world. (laughs) So, I mean, I suppose now that he has the time to build a steam engine that can take him to the future, he could, like, go get modern medicine and come back and live for, you know, extra time. Yeah, I guess. I think another point this movie tries to make is there's, like, the right thing to do in your head for the time travel and then there's, like, what your heart tells you to do, which yeah. is something that Doc comes up against mm-hmm. when he's following his heart. And because he, Marty tells him he shouldn't even go say goodbye to Clara. Like, what good is that going to do? And he right. does it anyway. And um, and I think that's a situation we have with Marty here where, you know, intellectually he knows the right thing to do is to leave Doc where he is. But that's his friend. Yeah, of course. He wants his friend to... but. He wants his friend to keep living, but also the weird thing is that, like, there are other versions of his friend that are still living, so it's like, who's dead, exactly? Well, no, that Doc... That's, like, the final Doc? Yeah, because Doc is always gonna die, right? The 1955 Doc is going to live another 30 years, meet Marty... And then end up in this going back. Yeah, okay, that's fair. Which, now that I think about it... Does that mean that 1955 Doc is supposed to be, like, in his 20s? That's a really good question, because he certainly does not look it. 
<laughs> Doc's age is very mysterious. Yeah, I will say I looked up their ages for feminism reasons, which we'll get to later. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Christopher Lloyd was in his early 50s at this mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we understand Marty's actions, even if they are not technically the correct ones. Yes, agreed. Okay, so now some consistency stuff. My my first big consistency note is, wouldn't the doc that's in 1885, Marty goes back and is like, hey, you die. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that doc remember having the conversation with Marty where they find his, find his gravestone and send Marty back in time in 1955? No, because the doc that's back in 1885 was sent back before... Immediately before they had that conversation and found it. Right, but he was sent back 30 years later. Oh, fuck. You're right. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's just a a hole. That is a hole. Okay, fair enough. Yeah. So there you go. Back to the Future. You're this big beloved trilogy. (laughs) And I found a hole. Paige Mayer taking you down. (laughs) My other question is, so they have this... So the whole thing was Marty's like, we need to get out of here ASAP because otherwise you're going to die on Monday. Mm -hmm. They save Doc's life. They have the whole shootout thing on Monday. Mad Dog gets arrested. Clearly they fixed it. They they see the the gravestone has disappeared. Doc's not going to die. Yep. I know where you're going with this. Why do they have to run to try to catch the train that's already left the station instead of just like waiting three days for the next train now that yes. no one's trying to kill them. This was also my question. Um, there was a sense of urgency that again was not needed because right. they had already solved the problem. No, it didn't make any sense. I was yeah. mad about it. We once again come up against time travel movies trying to create a sense of urgency where there is no sense of urgency. <laughs> but this one I feel like wasn't because of the time travel thing. Yes. Like this one was simply because they they fixed it. They fixed it. They fixed the right. problem. There there was the sense of urgency that was valid of, of Clara trying to catch them before they go back to the future. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Although she didn't know exactly what was happening. She was just like, they're on this runaway train that I'm also going to get on. Well, no, she, no, she did know. She right. did know. She yeah. did know at that point. She had gone back to his shed and seen the plans. Seems very dangerous of her to be like, I'm going to get involved in this. Dude, we could talk about this more in the romance, but I was just like, this could be a lovely one night stand, lady. Like, go, go for it. <laughs> uh, but yes, there was, they were like, we need to get on this train. And yeah, I'm like, no, you, you could wait until the next one. There right. was literally no reason not to wait until the next one. Also, there's no reason that Doc can't stay in 1885 with Clara now if he wants. That's true. He didn't get killed by Mad Dog. Mad Dog is in jail. Yeah. The danger has passed. Yeah. But I guess the only reason is for his his rule about not messing with where you're not supposed to be. Yeah, I guess. But, like, they could have had that conversation in the three days while they waited for the next train. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Fair. Yeah. yeah. I, I have uh, some questions that maybe you know the answer to, and I, I did not research at all. Okay. 1885, do they have, like, paper calendars that, like, Doc had hanging in his shed that say the date on them? I don't know. And do they have watches? Like, there's a big... Yes, yes, definitely. Okay, there's a big, like, clock tower I get, but, like, Marty wakes up uh, in a sleeping bag next to the train tracks Monday morning and is immediately like, it's almost time! Well... Probably Marty had a watch that was from that's before. True. Okay, that's true. But yeah, watches existed, like pocket okay. watches. Pocket oh, watches yeah. were the more common. Okay. But yes, they did have watches. And you don't know about the calendars? The calendars, I'm not sure. Okay. 
I imagine there was something, probably not a like mass-produced printed calendar. Yeah, but Doc had like a rip-off like day to day like <laughs> quote of the day. I mean, the other thing is that Doc was like modernizing his life a lot. Like yes. he was doing a lot of things. He was being very inventorly, like doing a lot of things sure, to make but he... his space much more modern than your average 1885 spot. But he created this very printed rip-off calendar. I don't know. Listen, he has a lot of time. Like, doesn't seem like a priority. He's learning how to blacksmith. He's just he he has a lot of hobbies. I'm also like, how long was he in 1885 for before he sent Marty this letter? Because you'd think he'd send Marty the, like he'd write this letter fairly early on, but it seems like he's very established as the blacksmith of this town, and maybe he has he, all his his stuff set up. He has his Rube Goldberg machine to make breakfast. Maybe he was just so sort of disoriented and, like, getting himself established that he didn't think to send Marty a letter until then. Yeah. Like, maybe it's possible that he was like, maybe I will find a way out of here, and then he was like, you know what? No, this is fine. I'm having fun in the Old West. Yeah, he said he always wanted to be a cowboy. I'm happy. Never mind. I'm going to send this to Marty so he knows. Yeah. Although, if he was truly content, wouldn't he just, like, not? Well, no, because he Mar- he knows Marty is stuck in 1955. So, he... Oh, he he needs to tell Marty where the, where he, the DeLorean is. And, ha- like, he needs to send instructions to 1955 Doc to help Marty. Right. Okay, okay. Clean up Fair the enough. DeLorean Fair to enough. send him back to 1885. My other question is how... And does- also, they're friends. He wants Marty to know he's not dead. Right. But also, um how did he get someone to deliver the mail uh, on that later? delay? <laughs> I guess he went how to How did the, he work that? I mean, he went to the uh, Western Union courier service and said, I have a very specific request. Do not fuck it up. And they did not. And they did not. They did it The to U.S. The Postal moment. Service could never. Yeah, seriously. The time travel I can believe. The Western yeah. Union sending him... <laughs> That letter, not so like, much. Perf- like, right after. Perfectly timed. In the middle of the night. <laughs> Listen, that is customer service, okay? I hope someone tipped him. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> the model that they made of how the whole thing was going to work, mm-hmm. while very fun, I'm not sure how it helped them. <laughs> they make, like, a model with, like, essentially a train, a a train, train set model, yeah. yeah, of what they're going to do to get back to the future. And, uh... Doc keeps saying, like, it's not to scale. So I'm really not sure, like, how it actually yeah. helps them. I think it more helps the audience, Matt, like, I'm understand very, what's happening. They could have just said it was to scale, though. Because if it had been to scale, then it, like, they could have, like, used it as a scientific, like, mathematical model. But mm-hmm. instead, he was like, it's not to scale. This is just a toy I made. <laughs> yeah, it's just a fun toy. <laughs> I think also... Doc is very aware that Marty is a not a scientist and okay. a teen boy. And so maybe it was like an illustrative tool for Marty. At this point, I just feel like Marty should be better than that. Like Marty, sh- Marty should be it's like... It's been like 48 hours since this no, whole thing started. No, it's been years, babe. <laughs> I know. That's the thing I had to keep remembering, though, is like... Yeah, the whole thing takes place over like 48 hours <laughs> of Marty's life. And yeah. Mar- has Marty slept? That's Don't a know. great... That is a great question. Yes. Well, actually, that's not true. He keeps getting knocked out. So okay. He yeah. Fair. For okay. Periods of okay. Time. So it's more than forty-eight hours. That's true. He's, He's in, in the, the Old West for, for at least like five, five days. days. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it's more than forty, but it's he it's, hasn't. It's, been it's doing, a couple weeks, maybe. He's not a super experienced right. lifelong time traveler. No. no. He's just he's just trying to get to the end of this. Yeah. It's really an ordeal when you think about it. Yeah. 
It seems like fun, but it's actually an ordeal. Yeah, I mean, I think looking back, he's going to be like, that's a crazy thing, crazy things I did. I remember when I was almost hung, hanged in the uh, Old West. Um, or literally was in the case yeah. of Michael J. Fox. I cannot believe they did that. I can. I just feel like, my God. I mean, you remember what happened recently? I know, but like in the Rust? I know, but it's Michael J. Fox. And a much bigger film set than Rust. Just saying. Anyway, whatever. But it was also 30 years ago. You're right. You're right. Oh, I have one more. When Clara is on the train uh, going to San Francisco, she like decides that she's going to stay and she literally like pulls an emergency brake mm-hmm. that's just like in the passenger car that stops the whole train. Yeah. Feels implausible. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I don't think she could do that. I don't disagree, but I also don't know enough about like 1885 trains to say for certain. Okay, fair enough. Anyway, that's all. That's all okay, I got. great. Does their love stand the test of time? So we'll mainly talk about Doc and Clara, obviously. I have a couple of ancillary love stories. Okay, interesting. I feel um, like I know enough about them to comment, but I will try. I mean, it's not. It's it's very little. Um, so I like that Doc is of the position that his involvement in a social relationship could disrupt the could result in the disruption of the space-time continuum. That is, that's very fun. Wouldn't it be fun if you were like, I don't know, I could end the world if I fuck this lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is a lot of pressure. You know, yeah. it kind of feels like dating in COVID, where you're like, mm. I could kill a loved one if I go and fuck someone. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. But I also, I do like that he takes, he takes his work very seriously and it just, it goes to show how much he cares about Clara that he's willing to like climb, climb over this hurdle he's created for himself. Yeah. I, I really liked this, this love a lot more than I was expecting to. I thought it was going to be like, not very, I don't know. Love at first sight is so difficult, but I think honestly, I think it's because the two actors are so delightful right? that like, I was immediately like, oh, I love it. And it was Here's the thing. It was chemistry at first sight that that was yeah. then backed up by the fact that they have a lot in common. Agreed. Agreed. They had enough, like, they only had, like, three days to fall in love, but it was enough time to have, to, for us to see some actual conversations between them, which was mm-hmm. nice. And also, she's a teacher, so and she really seems to love science. She's immediately like, oh, what kind of scientist are you? Astronomy, chemistry. We love, we love a woman in STEM. <laughs> Yes, we do. <laughs> a woman in the blacksmith Hashtag shop. Hashtag girl boss. Um, they both love Jules Verne, which, which feels very random. Great, but sure. It just seemed like one of the screenwriters loved Jules Verne. That's great. Um, I did bristle a little when he was like, I've never met a woman who loves Jules yeah, Verne. Yeah, he was like definitely doing a little bit of you're, you're not like other girls yeah. thing to her, but we will, we will allow it for 1989, I suppose. Because at least the... Um, people involved were at least it they were attempting to make her character more than just like a pretty face a pretty face but she was I thought I thought they did a good job I liked it do we want to talk about the ages here or in the feminism section let's just talk about the ages here okay I did the math in 1990 uh Christopher Lloyd was 52 and Mary Steenburgen was 37 
Not great. Not no. awesome. And Michael J. Fox was 29. So Mary Steenburgen was much closer to Michael J. Fox's age than Christopher yeah. was. Yeah. Of course. She's 37, so they yeah. put her with a 52-year-old. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, at least she wasn't 25, I guess. I guess. I guess. <laughs> and But that it almost makes it, and not it makes it worse, but it's like, She's 37, so they're the same age. Right. If she was 25, it'd be like, oh, that's weird. Why is he with a 25-year-old? But it'd be very clearly like, she's a 25-year-old. In this case, they're like, she's 37, he's 52, they're the same age. I mean, 15 years is not that bad, but... It's it's, it's not awesome. Part of a broader broader issue. You're right, you're right, you're right. Yes. Unfortunate. And also, it wasn't like he was like a dash... It's it's, No, he's he's not a dash... (laughs) He's not a silver fox. (laughs) Just so they the least. <laughs> so it's like he's he looks much much older, older yeah. and she does not. Yes, agreed, agreed, agreed. Mm-hmm. So he's not a super attractive. She's into his brain. That's nice, but she's but not the a super fact that she would be like love at first sight with this like crazy looking yes. old man. Yeah, wild. That's yeah. That's the crazy part is the like she also seems to immediately have love at first sight, and it's like I could see you like. A few years hanging out with this guy as yeah, friends, falling just, for his brain. Yeah, but like, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, for sure. Um, I did appreciate that they didn't, at least they didn't portray her as a sad old maid. Mm-hmm. Like, she was a school teacher with a job, and she was, you know... I mean, a job that she left like that. Yeah, sure. But, like, she had, she had kind of, like, her own life, at least. And they weren't portraying her as, like, I've been waiting for a man for so long. Yes. Which they definitely could have done as a 37-year-old single school teacher. Sure. But also, like I said, she was willing to leave her job at the drop of a hat at the end to travel, like, traveling through time with this guy and your, like, great. But why did she... He, he told her he was leaving town, so why did she need to go to San Francisco? I, I don't know. I, her, her whole decision-making there didn't really make sense to me. Uh, her whole decision-making at the entire end of the movie when she was like, I'm going to get on this runaway train, this makes sense yes. and is good for my safety. No. Right. I, yeah, which, like we were saying before, I was sort of like, this seems like a lot of, of work, life and death work for this man. Maybe just, this was a beautiful, like, a, it was a couple days, a beautiful love affair. It's nice that you can look back on it fondly because you know he loved you. Yeah. Finite love. Great. Great, we love. Go back to teaching. Yeah. I did like that she comes to his blacksmith shop right after they meet to be like, when my bags were thrown from the wagon, my telescope was damaged. And I was like, what a classic excuse to show up at a guy's blacksmith shop. (laughs) Who among us has not done so? (laughs) My telescope. Please fix it. Uh, Yeah. And the number, if I had a dollar for the number of times (laughs) I pulled that move. And then he has a moment where he's like, this is a nice telescope. (laughs) To be fair, it looked like a nice telescope yes. to me. And then they did later have a very cute scene with the telescope that I thought was very cute. Yeah. Where they no, discussed Jules for They were very cute. Like, there were yeah. a lot of cute things happening here. Yeah. And again, I'm happy at the end. Also, 37, still popping out some babies. I know. Look at her go. I mean, you know, they might have been portraying the character as younger. I'm basically this off Mary Steenburgen's age, but yeah. I also liked that we got another town festival. Felt like we were back in Hallmark land. Love a town festival. Bring everybody together. Put someone on stage. CC top. Have some conflict. It's great. Okay. Here are my very minimal Marty and Jenny thoughts at the end. He's been in the Old West 
for a week. He probably smells so bad. Oh, I did not consider that. That's a really good point. Go in your... He, he, so he goes back to, to 1985. He goes to his house and then he like gets in his car and immediately drives to Jenny's. Go take a shower. Yeah, definitely. Just wash off. Yeah. <laughs> and then he goes to Jenny's and she's passed out on her porch and he wakes her with a kiss. Very Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I was curious. Again, they're in a relationship, so it's not that bad. But sleep kisses, very close to surprise kisses. Yes, but they're in a relationship. Yeah. It's different. Okay. It's, it's fine. fine. Also, Jenny's outfit is wild. Oh, I didn't really clock it. What did she look like? Oh, let me see if I can find a picture of it. She's wearing like these uh, leopard It just jeans. looks really 80s to me. It doesn't like... Strike me as crazy. <laughs> I like the leopard jeans. Leopard jean, button-up white top, denim vest. It's a lot of layers. It's it's a lot of 80s. But also, should we go as them? I mean, yeah, for sure. Right. Remember when I made out with a guy dressed as Marty McFly I for Halloween? I do remember that. That was wow. nice. Full circle. Mm. Now we're I'm talking about I'm glad that came him. up during this. Yeah. <laughs> Although he's not... The guy was dressed in, like, the, the red puffy vest which marty is not wearing at all in this movie wouldn't it be fun if he was like dressed in a cowboy outfit and was like i'm marty mcfly (laughs) from back to the future part three that would be very fun that would be awesome honestly i would respect that next time because the thing is is i have everything to like i could go as a cowgirl for like every day of the week i have like enough denim and a cowboy hat and cowboy boots whatever so maybe what i'll do next halloween if i don't have an outfit prepared i'll dress as a cow person and then be like I'm Marty McFly from Back to the Future Part 3. I fucking love that, honestly. I think that is so funny. It would be great if he would, like, be really, really specific and, like, wear his... He wears, like, a poncho for much of it. He also... So if you could get the poncho, I think you could pull it together. The, 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 the outfit... The shirt he's wearing at the beginning, it's, like, a fringe cowboy shirt, but also has, like, Adams on it. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's ridiculous. Anyway... Ladies, did we just time travel back to the 1950s? I'm sorry, Helena, we have to talk about the Native Americans. Of Ugh, rough. Yeah. This um, was probably the worst part. Yeah. The, the part that most didn't hold up about this movie from 30 years ago. Yeah. I mean, they were doing a lot of like Old West uh, romance tropes. Yeah. There was uh, a lot of, obviously, like, old the old west like tropes of like cowboys versus quote-unquote indians yes uh was happening there's a whole part where marty when marty first goes back to 1885 he gets like overtaken by a sort of group of native americans on horseback um who are being chased by the cavalry um which is like very bad yes it's uh, literally also, just like casual genocide happening in front of him <laughs> and he's just sort of like okay well also, uh, they never talk, they, they never refer to them as Native Americans. They exclusively refer to them as Indians. Well, I mean, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. And also, no Native American uh, has a line in the movie or like, a yeah, char- there's no, sure. there are no characters. It's just that yes. one thing. Um, they also have a, a slur towards uh, Chinese people at mm-hmm. one point, which is not, not awesome. To be to be fair though, the slur is said by someone in 1885, and in a way that's like made to be like this Don't is how people in 1885 talk. Well, I think they also say that about the uh, 
quote unquote Indians. They could all, they would also make that argument probably about that. But also, well, they were still they were still calling them Indians in in, in yes, that is true too. Yes. yes, but on a positive note. This movie is all about the consequences of toxic masculinity. Yeah. Actually, it turns out that the whole series is about that. Yes. Kind of. That's the whole lesson that he learns over the course of the entire this series. Is a, it's a feminist series. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's, and it's about a central, the central, like, actual central love story of this film, arguably, is between Doc and Marty and, yeah. like, the mentorship and beautiful friendship that they have. Yes. So... That's feminism, too. Yeah. Because feminism is for boys, too. Yes. No, that's what I'm saying. This movie, like, toxic masculinity, a movie being anti-toxic masculinity is a movie being feminist. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, as we've sort of covered it, but the, basically, Marty's Achilles heel, his tragic character flaw is that anytime somebody's like, oh, are you a coward? He'll do whatever to yeah. prove he's not a coward, to prove he's a he's a big a man. Big man. Mm-hmm. Um, which, and this has been consistent through all three movies, and apparently it's what leads this him being goaded at the street race leads to a car accident, which like ruins his whole life. He just he can't turn that part of his brain off, and then and he has a conversation with his great great grandfather, which is him doing an Irish accent with a mustache. Um, <laughs> Where, um, after he gets goaded into the shootout at this town festival, Seamus, his great great grandfather, is is like, if you had just like left it alone, it would have just he would have just been blowing hot air. It would have been hot air from a buffoon. You wouldn't have had to to do this deadly shootout with him. And um, and then he's like, I had a brother named Martin McFly, and he used to let people goad him into fighting. And I think he says like, now he's dead. I don't. Yeah, I, don't I think he did die. <laughs> Yeah, so he learned he learned some lessons from his ancestors, which we love to see. Yeah, um, time travel teaching, you know, it's great. It's it's very cool that that was the the lesson in the end. Yes, yeah, I really liked that. Um, one thing that I thought was very funny and possibly like supposed to be a joke within the movie, but also maybe just like a plot device that was kind of dumb was when they made them check their firearms before they went into the town square. Uh, Mm-hmm. like town festival and it made me think about like was the old west actually more regulated than our current <laughs> situation with firearms yeah nowadays there'd be a whole a whole protest a whole about pro- like, like a five me... person protest yeah right yeah <laughs> a supreme court case yes you can't make me check my gun at this hoedown what if i need it what if i need it to shoot well, marty <laughs> This is feminism, and I will argue that this is feminism till the end of my days. Mm-hmm. There's a joke in the movie when Doc's like, we're going to have cars in the future when he's having his not drunken but drunken rant about the future in the saloon at the end. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, does anyone run then? And he's like, yeah, people run for fun. And one of the saloon guys is like, run for fun? What the hell kind of fun is that? So true. So true. And that's feminism. That's feminism. Don't make me run. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's um no not a single black person in this movie. Nope, not one single one. I don't think a single like a single person of color. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. I wonder if that's consistent across all three movies, and I my guess would probably be yes. I mean, I would hope maybe there's some future black people, but I wouldn't bet on it because I think they they would maybe like 
do the thing where they're like, well, there weren't in the Old West. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know, uh, we have to be very faithful to the Old West because yeah. we are time traveling back to it. So yeah. Yeah. You it's know, really important to be faithful. That really realistic time travel. Right. And also everyone ch- checked their firearms. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ready? Mm-hmm. Is it the best of times or the worst of times? Okay, here's where we talk about if you should watch it, in what context. We rate it on our doomsday clock from noon to midnight. Noon being terrible. Gouge your own eyes out before you watch this. Midnight being like, this is great. A plus. Party in my eye sockets. Um, Party in my eye sockets? You've never said that before. I love it. Great. I'm going to throw in, before we rate it, I have some last minute thoughts that didn't fit anywhere else. Okay. Uh... I counted six great Scots in this movie, which oh. is, like, one of the It's his catchphrase. Yeah, yes. for sure. Which, like, six isn't that many, but I will say there was, at the like, out of the first three lines of this movie, two of them are great Scots. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's the third movie. No holds barred. Let's yeah. do this. Um, I had something that didn't fit. Where was it? While you're looking for it, can I just say some very cute dogs in this movie? Super cute dogs. They put... A very cute dog in a little um, flashlight helmet in the beginning when they're finding the DeLorean. Very cute. Um, I like uh, when people run on top of trains in a movie. Really? I think it's really fun. Great. Yeah. Very expensive. Very expensive. Uh, that was the moment where I was like, this movie had budget. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, why don't you give us your overall rating? All right. Um, I would say I would give this movie... I'm going to give this movie a 9.45. Oh, so specific. Yeah, like, it's not, like, the best movie I've ever seen. It's probably not the best Back to the Future movie, mm-hmm. but I had a really nice time. Yeah. Like, I, like you said, I felt taken care of. It was mm-hmm. comforting to, like, see these characters that, like, even if I'm not personally that connected to, they're, like, sort of part of the zeitgeist. So, yeah. like, I felt like I knew them um, and what they were up to. Uh, and yeah, I had a really good time. Um, Great. yeah, you should, you should consider spending some time with the Back to the Future series again. Yeah. Hmm. I, not to be too close to you, but I was going to go 930. So, uh, yeah, I also, I think it's nine, maybe nine, nine, nine. I, I think nine probably compared to the first two Back to the Futures. Like I would rather, I think, rewatch the first two. Mm-hmm. I'm also not like a partial to the old west aesthetic. Like that's not my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm glad they were having fun. It seemed like everyone was having a lot of fun. Yeah, that's what I liked about. Yes, this one. no, it was. A, it is. It's a objectively good movie. Um, I could look up. I did not look up what it has on Rotten Tomatoes because there were so many other fun facts. But I'm gonna do that right well, now. Well, I bet it's. You bet it's what? I bet I it's it. uh, not that good because nobody really likes a um, sequel. A sequel. Well, no, but that, the Back to the Future sequels, because it's a planned trilogy, have notoriously been like better. Better. No, it has eighty percent. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, I'm so, sure yeah, the, that's about what we're rating it. Actually, yeah, I'm sure the Back to the original Back to the Future is higher. The original Back to the Future is ninety six percent. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Yeah. And makes, let's see. Let's just round this out. Sixty six percent. All right. People liked. Number three more. All right. I, I think future aesthetic is fun. So, like, I remember having a really good time watching the second one. Mm-hmm. It is funny now that it's, like, so future aesthetic and happened in 2015. But it's, that's very fun. 
But I would like I'm I am interested now in going back and rewatching the first and second ones. I it, would do it. It's it's a good time. It's a great movie. I think it holds up a lot more than some of the other like quote unquote classic movies we've watched. Like, Absolutely. Yeah. Like definitely would watch this again over Groundhog's Day. Yeah. Agreed. So yeah, I think you should watch it. Back to the Future. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> you definitely haven't heard it anywhere else. <laughs> good trilogy. No, it's 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 good. I'm uh, I'm glad that I was correct to talk to Helena into watching it. Yeah, and I I was uh, you know happy with the romance part of it. So I think it yeah. I think it definitely falls into our genre. I'm pleased. Right. And we Mary Steenburgen adds is is right under Rachel McAdams in like time travel. You're queen. right. Yeah, she's she's number two. And she beats Rachel McAdams because she actually gets to time travel in both of these movies. That is true. Technically, Leah Thompson is also... Oh, that's true. Leah Thompson actually overtakes Mary Steenburgen. Because she has four movies. I mean, I guess. She overtakes... Wait, how many does Meg Adams have? I think also four. She has four also. Okay. We've only done two But Leah Thompson is never really the romantic lead. Right, and I would also count... I don't think she should get credit for... I don't think she should get a three-person credit. Because then we have to be like, oh, well, also, Michael J. Fox is in three time travel movies. It's true, but we were we were gonna crown the queen, not the king. I just think Back to the Future, all three of them. Count it as should one. count as one. Okay, fine, we can count it as one. Also, she was not good in the Hallmark movies, so that's true. <laughs> and we, I just like, I, I enjoy Mary Steenburgen. Yeah, more, she's very so. fun to watch. She's just she's one of those actors who has that thing. Yeah, if we had an office, like if we had a podcast podcast office, there would be a framed picture of Rachel McAdams and a framed picture of Mary Steenburgen. Oh my god, should we get that anyway and just like put it up <laughs> in each of our houses? Yeah, well, I think carry it back and forth depending on where we're recording. Okay, perfect. Sounds okay, great. And with that, we'll, we'll be back, back in no time at all. Well, I'm very rarely mad at you. Very rarely seems like a stretch. <laughs> I, I would say mad is extremely rare. Maybe lightly annoyed happens occasionally. <laughs> But you get annoyed with me too, especially when I don't respond to your texts. I wasn't. I know I'm never annoyed that you don't respond to my texts. I just worry that yes, I'm annoyed. Yes, you are. <laughs> well, I'm annoyed. I guess if it's like a text where I don't think I'm annoyed. Yes, I just you will are. like send you a space. Yeah, that means you're annoyed. That doesn't mean I'm annoyed. Yes, it means it like does. I want to respond. That means you're annoyed. It doesn't mean I'm annoyed. Okay, I disagree. I'm never annoyed. I, I just like want to remind you to respond to me. I think sending a space indicates annoyance. Oh, well, then I'll find something else to send. Oh, okay. Does the B indicate annoyance? The B is less, uh, less annoyance, I would okay. say. Okay, I'll send the B. All right. Yeah, Unless I'm be- actually annoyed. Well, I just feel like a space we've established is, like, what you send to someone as, like, a passive-aggressive, like... I thought it was just answer me. Answer me. I'm coming. No, uh, no, I think a space, and our listeners can weigh in on this. <laughs> I think a space indicates that you are annoyed with someone and passive aggressively requesting a response. That's my opinion. Okay, great. Well, that's that wasn't my take on it, but we I should, will. We should find out what everybody else thinks. Yeah, and I will now on not send a space. I mean, you can if you're annoyed with me. I okay, I will, but I'm usually not. Okay, great. I'm glad we had this talk. Yeah. Constantly learning things about each other. Ten years There's in. There's always more to learn. Okay, where are we?